This is an Odyssey original. This is War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. An estimated 3 million Ukrainians have been on the move, leaving their homes, their cities, to avoid getting caught in the middle of the invasion. With that number of refugees growing by the day, we bring you the stories of Ukraine's civilians trying to escape the war. Another one today, a very personal story. We'll also get you up to date on a weekend of activity where the president uh, seemingly called for regime change in Russia and the Russian military struck closer yet to a NATO territory, a missile strike just a few miles away from the Polish border. So as Mike said, we've been telling you the stories of regular people from Ukraine struggling to survive and make sense of this war. Ruslan is originally from Donetsk in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. He left in 2014 as war with Russian-backed separatists started. He says he literally got the last ticket on the last train out. Ruslan then went to Kiev, where he recently left in order to head to a safer area, and he is with us now. Um, leaving your original home in the eastern part of Ukraine about eight years ago at this point, what has your personal journey been like for you and your family? Well, I can definitely tell that it probably was one of the harsher experiences in my life because not only I had to leave my hometown where I had all my friends, all my family connections, pretty much everything I knew in life up to this point. Um, I had to switch it all for a completely new environment. And it's not a friendly environment in that. I mean, I faced plenty of discrimination by my fellow Ukrainians, unfortunately, and I can blame them for that because people from my region were known for being, well, crooks, for, uh, for scamming people. There were a lot of apartment scams happening at that time. And it was even hard to find a new accommodation for myself for quite some time. And then now you've had to do it all again, right? So 2014, when that started, and then moving to what Kiev, and then now things aren't safe there, or so you had to you had to go again. What are you trying to do now? What's what's kind of the the game plan as 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 we watch what's happening? Well, in a very uh, terrible way that I honestly would not wish to anybody to experience, especially my my fellow citizens. Um, that recent escalation of the war with Russia actually brought the nation together. So no longer am I viewed as uh, some sort of a third-class citizen, but rather people are actually sympathetic because all of a sudden they realized what I had to go through alongside with 2 million of Ukrainians that also lost their homes back in the day. And so uh, now I'm just doing my best, you know, out of the bad situation that the whole country is in. By, uh, by volunteering, by using my language knowledge to get the word out there, by translating content, by connecting the volunteer groups with charitable organizations abroad to help get the supplies, humanitarian aid, the expertise, and uh, the word out. What do you think of the suggestion, which I'm sure you know is out there, that, that one way, perhaps, that this uh, war will come to an end is with uh, the Donbass region, where you're from, right? Uh, would be recognized by the uh, Ukrainian government as a separate sovereign area, a Russian, mostly Russian-speaking area, uh, and that might end this conflict if Russia were to agree to that. What do you think about that? Well, you know, having studied the history of the Soviet Union and the Russian Empire before and being from the actual region that historically has been known to have more ethnic Russians than probably any other region of Ukraine, 
I can tell you that um, Russia is not going to stop if they somehow get Donbass from Ukraine, which I sure hope they won't, because A, our president, thankfully, is never going to allow that, and B, um, those Ukrainians that still reside in the Ukrainian-controlled part of Donbass, they will also not go for the region to be seceded to Russia. So uh, the problem with Donbass is that it's kind of like a chicken bone that's stuck in the throat of Russia at the moment, and they will either break it by, by taking it into themselves, becoming part of the Russian Federation, which is not going to end well for Russia as a country, or they'll have to spit it out and uh, Donbass will be back under Ukrainian control. Do you think it's easy for people on the outside to forget when they think about the war in Ukraine, they say, oh, it's, it's been going on for, for uh, a month now. Well, no, it's been going on for eight years, right? 2014 is when you left. So people who are just now realizing because Russia is you know, doing what they're doing, but there's been fighting for, for years and years and years affecting people. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's it's sad to see that that's what it takes to kind of cut through the noise of the uh, modern environment that we all live in, to kind of have the suffering and destruction and death to be elevated to such a level where it no longer can be ignored by the, you know, Western or Eastern civilizations of that. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And as far as I can tell, all things considered, Ukrainians are putting up hell of a fight. And I do hope that we'll continue getting the support of our Western allies and, uh, you know, we are on our land, we're protecting our, our homes, our families, and uh, Russian fascists are going to get what they deserve. Tell us a little bit about your, your family. Uh, what, what is it like, and are they all with you, or are some still in the Donbass region or elsewhere? Well, when I left, uh, when I left Donetsk, unfortunately, um, my mom at the time also left to another part of the, of the country, and my dad was left all alone, and he died because I guess it was some sort of a heart issue or a combination of a heart issue and a mental issue. So I lost my father back then. And uh, my mom came back, I think a couple months afterwards and she has been living there ever since. But actually recently with uh, the recent announcements by the so-called leaders of the uh, separatists in the Lugansk region, which is close to Donetsk, um, them intending to do some sort of a fake referendum just like they did in Crimea back in the day and connect themselves to Russia, she's actually plan planning to move out and uh, situate herself somewhere in, uh, in Europe. And is she free to do that? Well, what's kind of daily life like in those regions? Because again, if we, if we do an outside looking in perspective, I think a lot of people think, okay, those places, you know, maybe they do want to leave or there's fighting, but there's a, a group of people that definitely wants to go. But you're saying, no, 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 that's not how it is. This is again, Russia trying to take control of a place and install their own people. That's, that's unfortunately exactly what's happening because even in Crimea, for example, and I'm not sure if this is being even communicated to the Western media right now, um, Russians are preventing those who reside in Crimea, whether the, the, those are the people that lived there before 2014 in the annexation or the ones that moved after, they're preventing them from moving out because people are actually panicking and they're selling their homes at a superior discount for like 10, 20, $30,000. You can get a you know, frontline apartment with a seaside view and everything. And uh, in Donetsk, they were so desperate to get at least some sort of an economy going on that they recently, all of a sudden, after four years of pretty much converting the whole economy into rubles, they are allowing Grivnas, Ukrainian currency, to be used alongside the rubles. That just shows how bad the situation is. And uh, 
with all everything that's happening in Russia itself, I don't see how things can improve. It can only go, you know, further downhill from there. Ruslan, how old are you and do you have kids? No, I don't. And I'm actually going to be 31 this uh, this April. Okay. And what do you do for a living? You mentioned that you're doing a lot of translating. Is that your profession? Uh, not exactly. It's just something that I find my uh, language skills to have the most impact right now, just because, you know, there's a huge communication gap between uh, Ukrainian and Russian language and what's being uh, consumed in the West, mostly in English. I guess my main occupation right now would be a, that of a copywriter. And then uh, as a part-time thing that obviously is not getting paid because it's a volunteer activity. I'm uh, helping to connect Ukrainian uh, charitable and nonprofit organizations that are doing things on the ground with the Western charitable organizations that are looking to do some actual impact, unlike, you know, those larger ones like Red Cross. Inspiring to see so many people trying to do something, especially those who are staying. We talk about how many refugees uh, there are, and for good reason. People need to go to where they need to be safe. But so many people have stayed, and some have told us that express reason is just to be there so they can do something. So they're, you know, they're someone still in the city. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that gives me great hope and uh, belief that, you know, Russians are going to break their teeth against Ukraine is that uh, the males that could have left the country, like I could have left actually in the first day, but uh, I decided to stay because I realized that, you know, I lost my home once and I'm not gonna allow those dogs to steal my home again from me. And, uh, you know, Ukrainian men right now are literally fighting for their lives, for their houses, for everything they hold dear. And I don't think there's a force of nature out there in this world that can, that can break this resistance. Ruslan, do you have or did you have uh, ethnic Russian friends uh, in the either the Donbass region or perhaps even in Russia? Many Ukrainians, of course, do, as you know. Well, somehow I've been fortunate enough, and I, I say this not with an easy heart, um, to have friends that quickly realize, just as I did, that um, having a Russian background we kind of need to work twice as hard to prove to ourselves first and foremost that we're not like them, we are better than them and uh, we're more decent human beings. And then obviously having to go through the hardship of reintegrating ourselves into the Ukrainian society. And uh, sadly, I do have friends that went to serve in the military to defend uh, the Ukrainian side of Donbass and they perished in the line of duty. And I have tremendous amount of respect for them. And you know, every year I... Um, I go to visit their graveyards and um, I can say that, you know, they probably were twice as Ukrainian as uh, most people give them credit for. Yeah. What does it say about your friends that despite, you know, facing the adversity of coming back and they still signed up to fight for the country that was discriminating against them in some aspects? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is. And uh, they will be forever remembered as heroes of Ukraine who put their lives in exchange for uh, for the freedom of our country. How do you think this is going to all end? Well, um, unfortunately, you know, the price for freedom is always paid in the blood and lives of those who are fighting for it. And uh, for 30 years of independence, Ukraine has been lucky enough not to shed that much blood to uh, to truly get the freedom and democracy that we're trying to establish in the country. And now with this uh, full-blown war happening and Russia acting as a clear, aggressive fascist state that doesn't perceive Ukraine or Ukrainian culture 
as something can, that can exist outside of the Russian sphere of influence. Uh, this is the chance of a nation to actually forge itself and finally become, you know, become of age in a way. It's a, it's a, it's a crucible by fire of sorts. Do you think this actually will end up breaking through to the Russian people who either don't believe what's happening is happening or aren't shown what's actually happening? Well, you know, in World War II, eventually things were brought through to, uh, to the citizens of Nazi Germany. And uh, with the way that the media operates nowadays, uh, with many more sources of information readily available, regardless of where you are on the planet Earth, um, and even with the Russian state taking such drastic and desperate measures as to block and uh, prohibit under the you know, threat of 15 years of imprisonment, the, um, the Russian media from publishing and distributing the interview of our president with Russian journalists, that just you know, speaks volumes. Their, their outdated KGB approaches clearly no longer work in the modern world. And I think it's only a matter of time unless... Um, until the truth actually comes out. And and you mentioned uh, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. Are, are you surprised by the path that, that he ended up through no choice of his own, really, uh, going, you know, from, from a, you know, basically a television comedian to an elected official, but now somebody who is admired uh, in much of the, the, at least Western world? With his background being of an actor and a showman, I can definitely tell that funnily enough, he actually did make the choice of, uh, of becoming the leader of the nation right now when nation needed such a leader the most, because probably he realized that it's truly the chance that he gets. It's a lottery ticket of sorts to, uh, to truly write his legacy and become the symbol that the nation needed uh, or just be swiped away. And, you know, nobody's ever going to remember him if he were not to stand up to this tr tremendous responsibility. And I got to say that I never was a supporter of his. I didn't vote for him. And uh, this trial clearly shows that, well, <laughs> he does have balls. And uh, whatever he may have done as a politician before that, I definitely got to give him prompts for uh, how he stands up to, to the challenge right now. And those of us in the West, what do you want people to know? Um, I think the main message should be that, you know, Ukraine is not part of Russia. Ukrainian is not like Russian language. We do have our distinct culture. We are a distinct separate nation. And right now we unfortunately have to carry the burden of responsibility and freedom and democracy for the Western world fighting against the oppressive fascist and frankly just, uh, Panicidal uh, Russian regime. And uh, as long as we have the support of our allies, and as long as the Western world sees Russia for what it is and does not um, turn down the pressure in terms of sanctions and all the financial consequences of this absolutely ludicrous war effort of Putin and has KGB cronies, I think uh, Ukraine will prevail. So, guys, don't forget us. We're here fighting the democracy fight for the whole planet right now. Ruslan, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, originally from Donetsk in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine, uh, left there in 2014, went to Kiev. Stay safe. We wish you the best. Uh, and we hope that uh, you and your mom can get closer, that she gets out of there as well and closer to you.
Thanks again for, for speaking with us. The war is now entering its fifth week. Peace talks between Russia and Ukraine set to resume tomorrow. President Zelensky says his country would consider declaring itself a neutral party, giving up hopes of a NATO membership in exchange for peace with Russia. It can't come soon enough for people in the country. Shortly after President Biden said Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power, Russian rockets hit the outskirts of the western city of Lviv over the weekend, and that is where journalist Phil Itner is right now. Uh, Phil, when we last talked about a week ago, the Russian military first started to launch missiles toward western Ukraine. Have those strikes gotten closer to Lviv itself? Well, yeah. I mean, over the weekend, uh, we got hit directly uh, in the center of town. There was a fuel depot that got struck by what appeared to be a cruise missile, and then there was a second strike that was uh, on the outskirts of town. Most of the strikes that have been happening in the western part of the country have been uh, locations that are a little bit farther afield than the uh, city proper. Uh, but this uh, this uh, strike on Saturday uh, was was right in the middle of town, and there was a huge black plume of smoke uh, drifting over the city, and uh, you know people for the first time had the war come right to their doorstep. So they, and there was a, there remained a sense of resolve here, but um, it was just a little too close for comfort. What is the read on how things are going overall? Because there was a sense, again, this was late last week that, Oh, look, the Russians are kind of falling back. Ukrainians in some areas are retaking uh, towns. They've, they've got them on the, uh, they've got them on the run, but then others were saying, well, no, this is in the Russian playbook. If you don't get exactly what you want, you do fall back a little bit, you dig in and then you just start shelling and shelling and shelling to, to break everybody's resolve. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what's happening around the capital of Kiev is that those battle lines are being, uh, there's an ebb and a flow going on there. Uh, the, the Ukrainians have been quite successful in some counteroffensives, but uh, the Russians have also regained some territory as well. So those battle lines are, are pretty fluid at the moment, although we do hear from Moscow and the military leaders in the Russian armed forces as saying that their intention actually is now uh, not so much some of these other cities uh, around the country or to try and split the country or to try and uh, denazify the country. They've, 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 gone back from, they've gone down from a list of about seven objectives that they said they had at the beginning, and they're now saying that really what they want to do is liberate those eastern separatist uh, areas in the east of the country and then presumably build that land bridge, uh, a corridor that would connect them to the uh, peninsula of Crimea where they have the Black Sea Fleet. Uh, of course, the major uh, of the, the thorn in the side of, of doing that, though, is the city of Mariupol, which, while it has had an awful lot of civilians evacuated from it, there's still a lot of civilians there. And most notably, there are still three, three battle groups in there that are vowing to stay and fight as long as they can. So, as you know, the uh, Ukrainians are saying, Ukrainian government, I believe, is saying that they believe uh, the goal of the Russians now would be to create a situation analogous to North and South Korea uh, by dividing the country. But if they were to do that, wouldn't it deprive uh, what would then be, I guess, the independent uh, Ukrainian government and country access to very vital areas of the country needed for its own economic survival? 
It, it would indeed, and that's a real uh, serious risk here. And the idea is, is that they would split it along the, the Dnieper River, which runs pretty much right in the middle of the country and ends down near the port city of Odessa. And, um, and that's where the, the threat would be for the Ukrainians. If the Russians are able to take Odessa, and I, I have to ha- hasten to add that that's a big if, that's a fortified city, and, and the Ukrainians are going to fight tooth and nail for it. But if they are able to take that port city, they will, in effect, uh, have taken the entire uh, Ukrainian seaboard. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump uh, from Odessa to a little breakaway republic where Russia already has a base in the eastern European uh, country of Moldova. So they would, in effect, cut off the Ukrainians from the sea, and uh, they would not be able to export uh, using those sea lanes. So it would be a huge blow, and a rump Ukraine would be created. Uh, And presumably the idea for the Russians would be to just let it rot on the vine. Did the NATO meeting, did the president's comments have any big ripple effects there? Or are we still in this position where it's like, look, send us weapons. You call whatever Putin you want to call him, but we need stuff here and we need it now. Yeah, they're still calling. That's their primary. That's their primary uh, uh, request right now. I mean, of course, they were happy to to hear some of the words that were coming out of uh, uh, President Biden's visit to Poland, uh, but uh, you know they they have been saying that Putin is a is a thug and a war criminal for quite some time now. So uh, that only just reinforced what they've already been saying. But they are saying that they are going through so much munitions that they are at a point where they're going to start running out of even like uh, you know just your basic artillery shells. And and while they have been asking for anti tank and anti aircraft, it's getting to the point where they're burning through such. Uh, uh, so much of their stockpiles that they're starting to ask for just, you know, bullets and artillery shells. So the the, the Ukrainians have been really uh, using up what they have, and they're, they're getting to a point where they're going to start asking for not those smart weapons, not the high technology weapons, but just stockpiles of uh, of ordnance. Phil Itner there for us in Lviv. Phil, thanks. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.